Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's wonderful guest is hungry human and fellow dietitian Paula Norris. On today's episode, Paula, who has 14 years of experience as a dietitian, shares with us the concept of volume eating. In today's episode, we discuss what volume eating is, who it's appropriate for, how it's different to other diets, whether or not it's just healthy eating, how you can start volume eating at home, what to do if you don't like veggies and salads, and how liquids fit into volume eating. You can follow Paula on her Instagram, which is at movingdietitian, or you can grab her free course on volume eating on her website, which is movingdietitian.com.au. Now, just quickly, before we jump into today's episode with Paula, I wanted to let you all know about my evidence-based fat loss webinar. For the very affordable price of $29, you get a three-hour expert webinar, which breaks down all things fat loss. Head to leanneward.com.au and under the shop page, you can access the webinar and read the reviews about how beneficial and value-packed my evidence-based fat loss webinar really is. Now, let's dive into today's podcast episode with Paula. Welcome to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, Paula. I'm really stoked to have you on today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Leanne. And I always love to start off these episodes by, I guess, getting our listeners a little bit more familiar with you. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background um, and what you're sort of currently doing in the world of nutrition and dietetics? I can. So I have been a dietitian for the last 14 years. I work in corporate land, but I also run Moving Dietitian Instagram page and also Moving Dietitian website. So I started that about five years ago because I just got really sick of being seeing all the rubbish out there on social media and I thought I can either get frustrated about it um, or I can do something about it. And I remember looking at your page back then as well because you, um, you were really pioneering in the dietitian space on Instagram. So I started that. And now I really uh, work mostly, obviously, in corporate, as I said, but also focus in on hunger and volume eating, which is obviously what we're going to talk about today. I love it. And I think one of my favorite things when I looked at your page um, was, is like, Paula Norris, dietitian and hungry human. And I was like, oh, man, I can so relate. And I just love that, how you identify with yourself as a hungry human. Yes, I am a hungry human. I think, and I think I've passed it on to my kids as well, because they seem to eat a lot. Um, but I just... I just was always one of those people that people would say to me like where do you put it all like I can't believe you eat so much I just have always had a very big appetite and I think it's genetic you know I'm relatively active but I think I generally do I'm one one of those people that has a a bigger appetite than others yeah no I'm absolutely the same as well and plus I think because I'm six foot one I'm exclusively breastfeeding at the moment and I'm a little bit active as well and people are like what you eat all of that food I'm like yeah (laughs) I'm all about the food. Absolutely. I was ravenous. You can't get enough food when you're breastfeeding, can you? I was exactly the same. Absolutely. But I think it's funny. I think it, I always find it really amusing that people think dietitians just don't eat. Like the amount of clients I've had and they go, oh, you wouldn't get it or like, you, you know, you guys don't eat or like I'm hungry all the time or you don't like food. And it's like, no, like we literally study a career 
revolving around nutrition because we literally love food and we talk about it all day long. Yes, exactly. And actually, I think sometimes that makes me more hungry because you talk about food all day. (laughs) But yeah, I agree. There is this expectation that we don't eat much or we're really restrictive, but yeah, that's definitely not the case. <laughs> yeah. Or we don't like food or people go, oh, I just, I can't lose weight because I like food too much. It's like, no, buddy, I like food as well. Hey, Same. come on. <laughs> Agree. All right. Well, let's dive right in. We're talking about the concept of volume eating today, which is very, very exciting, but I guess we should probably start off with a little bit of a, um, I guess, background on what exactly is volume eating for someone who may have never heard of the concept before. Yeah. So volume eating is an approach to eating basically that allows you to reduce or I guess manage the amount of calories that you're eating while still eating a lot of food. So when we talk about volume, we're talking about foods that are high volume. So higher volume and lower calorie density, which usually the two magic ingredients are water and fiber. But having a high volume food means you can eat a lot, you can feel full, you know, you you get that satiety in your stomach that raises those or reduces those hormones, sorry, the ghrelin hormones that actually tell us that we're hungry. So when we have a full stomach, that ghrelin reduces and tells us that we're full and that's what the high volume eating does for us. So it's a way of yeah eating a lot of food without overdoing the calories really. Mm, there's nothing worse than wanting to lose weight but being constantly hungry, is there? That's right. So I think that's the other thing. Like we were saying before, when you people assume, oh, to lose weight I have to you know, significantly reduce what I eat or I have to eliminate certain foods or certain food groups. But what volume eating allows you to do is still include all of the foods that you love, No food is off the table, but it's about how you manipulate the portions to include more of those lower calorie density foods and portion control the ones that are higher in calorie density. So it's about the calorie density of foods. Love it. And I had a very volume dense lunch today and I didn't actually finish the last part of my lunch, which I'll hold it up to camera and I'll show you is my little crunchy. (laughs) So I had a big bowl of chicken and veggie soup and then I had a big side salad on the side and I was like my little sort of soul food portion of that's going to be a little bit of chocolate with that. And then I ran out of time and I had to feed Mia. Then I did a client call that I jumped on a potty with you and it's like longingly staring at me from my desk. It's like, eat me, eat me. (laughs) I'm coming back for you later, buddy. (laughs) Absolutely. And overall, that'd still be a high volume meal probably because you still yeah as that's that's I think the other great thing about volume eating is it doesn't mean that you can't eat chocolate doesn't mm-hmm. mean you can't eat lollies mm-hmm. like it just means how do you make most of what you eat sort of those high volume lower calorie density foods so that you've got more flex to include all of the foods that you love those soul foods as you call them exactly and I'm so full for my lunch from the soup and the salad and I think that's why I didn't automatically inhale the chocolate afterwards I was like I'll leave it till a bit later when I am hungry and I think like three hours later I'm still not really even hungry for it so I love volume eating I've been doing it for years I'm such a fan is this a relatively newer concept or has it been around for quite a while now it's been around for quite a while so the actual research behind volume eating it's also actually called volumetrics so Mm. the research about it came out from a professor called Dr. Barbara Rolls in the US. She's a nutrition scientist. She's a professor. And she was really obsessed, I suppose, with this concept of being able to satisfy your hunger whilst also losing weight at the same time. So she did a bunch of research. The first of it was published around 2005. And then she did a few studies after that that really showed how people could reduce the calories of what they were eating while still yeah eating a lot of food and not um, creating a whole heap of restriction or having to be stuck with a lot of small meals in their in their diet so that's where it's coming so it's been around for a while but I think probably naturally it's given 
a bit of a label to the way that some people eat anyway. So if I think about myself back in uni, I started to learn about some of these concepts and then um, the actual term volume eating probably didn't come out until, you know, just after I finished uni. So it was that was when the research started to be published. Mm. But there are a lot of similar concepts to sort of your, your standard healthy eating. Yeah, and I love that there is, you know, that research in science to back it up as well. And they have gone through and they've studied different groups and patterns of people. And they have, you know, it's well established that the volumetrics is a really great style, I guess, of eating for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because it's, I guess, one, there's a there obviously is a focus on calories but generally it's a very nutrient-rich diet. So you get your nutrients um, from a vitamin mineral perspective. It's very high fiber, um, but it also it allows some of those soul foods, enjoyment foods, um, without leading people to be in this sort of deprivation mindset that comes from you know diets that include a lot of restriction or cutting things out, cutting out carbs, cutting dairy, cutting gluten, whatever it might be, particularly obviously if it's not for medical reasons. Mm. Um, without that deprivation mindset, you get um, a lot more, you know, satisfaction in terms of what you're eating, but it's the nutrient profile of the diet is fantastic. Mm. It's really sustainable for life, isn't it? That's right. So we know that the number one thing in terms of maintaining weight loss is you have to be able to stay on it. So if you can't stay on it, um, then you're probably unlikely to maintain the weight loss. You're more likely to have this yo-yo effect. Um, so that's, I think, what it gives you the foundations of um, what to eat, how to portion your plate. It's a bit of a set and forget. So once you understand the concepts behind volume eating and you know how to apply it to most of your meals and snacks, I mean, no one's ever going to do it for all of their meals and snacks, mm-hmm. um, but you can that you can carry that out and apply it to any meal or snack that you're eating for the rest of your life. So that's that's the great thing about it. Mm-hmm. And can we dive a little bit more into those guidelines or around sort of the principles of volume eating? If somebody at home said, you know what, this sounds like an awesome concept, like sign me up, how would they go about starting or what are some of the principles that we really look towards following? Yeah, so the, the number one principle in volume eating is really calorie density or energy density. So the number one focus is how do you make, you know, at least 50% of your plate this these high volume, lower calorie density foods. And in volumetrics or volume eating, there tend to be four, calo- uh, four categories when it comes to calorie density. So your very low calorie density foods, your low calorie density, moderate, and then high calorie density foods. So it, I guess it's free game when it comes to your very low calorie density foods and the volume eating approach gives you guidance on what those foods are in each category it's not you're not expected to get the calculator out and calculate the calorie density of of every single food you eat absolutely not um but you 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 understand how to portion based on how calorie dense the foods are Mm, mm, mm. so that's the number one um the number two is if we move away from sort of the lower calorie density foods once you get up to the the more moderate or high calorie density foods, it gives you some guidance on what sort of portions that you should include so that you don't go overboard with your calories. And then the third is just really just a really still a strong focus on nutrient rich foods. So and this just happens naturally, as I said before, because you've got high fiber foods, you've got um, foods that are very rich in phytonutrients and vitamins and minerals. So it's about choosing the foods that have a lower calorie density and really thinking at home, 
how could I increase more of those at each one of my meals and snacks is probably a good way to start. Mm. And you you mentioned that it's sort of the very lower calorie ones and the lower calorie ones moving up to more of the moderate and higher ones. Can you give our listeners an example of maybe one or two which might fit within those different sections? Yeah, it's a good question. So with you, not a huge surprise, but if you think the very low calorie density foods are going to be those that are highest in water and highest in fiber. So no surprises that um, a lot of the foods that sit in that category really are your vegetable and some of your fruits as well. So it's as with most healthy eating approaches, we're trying to um, increase those foods on our plate. When we come up to the next one, which is they're still low calorie density, you get some of your carbohydrate rich foods. So your pastas, your potatoes, corn, bananas, some of the more starchy um, uh, fruit and vegetables, I suppose you'd call them. Then you come up to some of your more calorie-dense foods. So if we're talking about as they start to get to a moderate calorie density, things like meats, cheeses, cereals, they can sort of sit in that category. And then your high usually is things like nuts, olive oil, uh, and then your pastries, sweets, cakes, that sort of, those sorts of foods. So especially when we're talking about high calorie density, I referred to nuts and olive oil. We definitely wouldn't be wanting to not have those because they are so, so healthy for us. Mm. But what we do do in the volume eating approach is just be cautious about the portion sizes of those that we have so that we don't end up going overboard with the calories. So you mean like no Jamie Oliver olive oil pours into your pan, is that right? Probably not, no, unfortunately. Sometimes yes, but on the most part, if we're following that um, approach, then we would we would save that for special occasions. It is delicious, so. <laughs> have you ever seen, you, you would have seen his cooking videos where he's like, just a little bit of olive oil, then like half a container later, he's like still going into his pan. I, know. <laughs> I think it's so easy to do though, because especially with, even when you're pouring it over vegetables, you're like, where did half that olive oil go? I need to add some more. Like it, yeah, olive oil is so yeah. healthy. We love it in our house. So it's, um, it's certainly not about avoiding it by any means it's just about being cautious about your portions and in, in most of our meals wonderful so I guess we've been through sort of the principles of volume eating and our listeners at home might be thinking hmm, this sounds like something I can definitely get behind because you know you and I are you know both on the volume eating train and we love it who would you say that volume eating is appropriate for or probably a better question is is there anyone that it isn't appropriate for that's a good question because I think I mean for anyone that's embarking on a new approach to eating um, it can be good, particularly if you've got health conditions to check with your healthcare professional. It is appropriate for most people, though, I think, because it is a, it, we're not excluding anything. It's a very nutrient-rich diet, so you're not placing yourself at huge nutritional, you know, nutritional risk. A couple of things to be mindful of is if you're embarking on this approach as a new approach, it can be quite a, a rapid increase in fibre, uh, which you know, it's likely that your body will get used to that, but sometimes it's good to introduce it slowly rather mm. than going all at once. Mm -hmm. The other people, because it is a high volume way of eating. So, you know, as, as we said before, like I'm a hungry human, so it takes quite a lot for me to feel full. Mm. So that's why the volume eating approach is perfect for me because I can eat a lot of food without going overboard on the calories. But if, if you've had any sort of gastric banding, gastric sleeve, those sort of um, surgeries that actually make your stomach volume smaller, then this would absolutely not be recommended because obviously your your stomach just doesn't have the volume to hold to hold the food in there, and that can cause issues. So they'd probably be the main ones. I think for anything like obviously like diabetics, etc., you always have to check that you've got the right portions of carbohydrate foods 
along with the volume eating diet, you wouldn't just want to follow up without checking it with your healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. And I actually spent a long time working as a clinical dietitian in hospitals. So I'm just thinking um, from the top of my mind, um, somebody who would be at risk of malnutrition or malnourished, this probably wouldn't really be appropriate for them either yes. because we really do want them to focus more on those high calorie sort of type foods, don't we, to get help them gain the weight back? Yes, absolutely. I should have said that. So yeah, this volume eating is really for people that are either a healthy weight, maybe over the years your uh, your activity level has gone down, you're a very hungry person like me, you want to be able to maintain a good level of intake without going overboard on the calories, or for those people that are wanting to lose weight, this can be a good approach as well. So we're really looking at people that are healthy weight wanting to maintain it, mm-hmm. you know, without really significantly, they might want to manage their hunger, but they may not significantly want to change their calorie intake that much or people that want to lose weight, no one at the at the lower end that need the risk of malnutrition or that need to gain weight, as you say. Mm. So someone who would be really good would be, say, somebody who trains really regularly, they're doing, you know, four, five, six sessions a week and then, um, you know, they come down with a big injury or they, I don't know, get COVID or the flu and they're on the couch for two or three weeks. Often I get a lot of DMs from people who say, oh, I'm not able to exercise and I really, you know, rely on exercise to keep my weight or to maintain my weight. This is probably a really good strategy where if somebody – I don't know, breaks their ankle and they're in a you know leg brace for four to six weeks and they can't really do much movement off the couch. Volume meeting is probably a really good sort of approach for them where they can still maintain and eat food because I guess your hunger levels are, you know, they're quite high when you're that active and when you have been, you're used to eating big volumes of food. And so this is probably a good approach for someone who's got a period of sickness or injury where they're used to training quite high loads and eating quite a lot of food. Yeah, definitely. It's like, yeah, when you get used to eating a lot of food because you do have a high training load mm. or a very active job um, and then you move to a job that's more office based that can or it can also be a good way to manage that transition so you're still you, you're still eating a lot of food you're managing your hunger but yeah you're not going overboard on the calories and you're, you're adjusting it more to your new your new lifestyle I suppose whether mm. it's on the couch because you've broken your ankle or whether you've moved to an office job or whatever that might be it's definitely a good approach in those situations as well. And I like that we're sort of terming it more of an approach to eating because I'm sure that I'll get a few questions from listeners saying, is volume eating a diet? How do you feel about that? Would you call it a diet? Would you call it a style of eating? Is it a lifestyle approach? I, I call it a lifestyle approach because it's not rigid. So I could literally, I don't have a meal plan for myself and my family at home. I'm literally like, what are we going to eat? How do I increase the volume of it? and reduce the calorie density so that it's not too high um, an overall meal in calories. So I definitely call it a lifestyle or an approach. There is a little bit of structure in terms of understanding how to portion your plate and then for those higher calorie density foods, you know, what sort of portions to use. Um, but it's not, it's not a strict meal plan. We're not restricting anything. We're not cutting anything out um, or excluding anything. So yeah, that's, I guess, why I call it an approach. And you can apply it anywhere at any time. Like I might go out and go to the cafe, um, have a look what I'm going to get for lunch. And I go, okay, what meal can I see that has a good portion of lower calorie density foods in it? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for that. 
it's yeah it's not like oh I can't eat that because I'm on a diet it's just what's my best option with what I've got available be that home office cafe etc and so if someone said to you well that sounds great but it really just sounds like healthy eating is it just healthy eating is it what everybody should be doing or are there a few of those principles in there like you mentioned a few structured sort of tips that make it a little bit different to just standard healthy eating guidelines yeah it's a good question because in some ways it is similar to healthy eating but I think the challenge with that is you know there's so much misinformation out there about what is healthy eating that people are confused. Mm. So I think it provides, well, volume eating provides enough structure to get people on the right track, healthy eating, managing their hunger, having good energy levels uh, without having to follow something that's super strict or super restrictive. So it gives, it's sort of a midway point. It gives a, it gives a bit of structure to help people get on the track and teach them the foundation skills of how to eat well mm. without being extreme so that means it's it's maintainable depending on the resource you use for either volumetrics or volume eating some of the approaches do actually recommend calorie counting as a part of it Mm -hmm. now I personally don't recommend that that's that's my own my own way with volume eating the reason that I don't is because I've found that um, for both for myself but people I've worked with then find the diet all-consuming. You're spending a lot of time calculating calories and how many calories are going to be in my next meal. And the other thing with volume eating is you don't really need to count calories once you understand the foundation principles of how to build your plate in terms of the calorie density of the food. So, yeah, I, I think that there is sometimes those uh, approaches with volume eating that take it more extreme in terms of how you have to implement it, but I don't think it's necessary. Mm. And I think it really, if you were counting your calories as part of it, it sort of moves more from a lifestyle approach into more of that sort of diet because it is a lot more rigid. There is a lot more structure around it. It is a lot more time consuming. So it sort of shifts from one thing into another, doesn't it? Totally. And I think the the reason where I, why I don't love, why I don't like calorie counting really at all is Um, you then you spend a lot of energy and time thinking about calories you spend a lot of time on the apps and no question this works for some people and some people are very comfortable with this so I think that's why with anything nutrition and healthy eating there are a lot of different approaches and it has to come down to what works for that individual Mm. Um, calorie counting doesn't work for me doesn't work for a lot of people that I've worked with so that's you know that's sort of why I don't tend to go down that path Mm -hmm. but yeah agree it then becomes more strict, rigid as soon as you start to have to be counting every single thing that you eat. Volume meetings in the way that um, it can be done without calorie counting is about sort of freeing yourself from having to spend too much time on counting and worrying about what you're going to eat next. Spending more time enjoying your life pretty much. Exactly. And for time poor people, I'm sure that's exactly what they want to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just taking a moment to shout out this episode's sponsor, Mac Nutrition and the Mac Nutrition Universal Certification. With the MNU certification, you are qualified to be insured to practice as a nutritionist. You can get a bespoke insurance policy right here in Australia, which you can also use to work with clients globally. They have insurance policies in over 25 countries, including the US, Canada, and the UK. The MNU certification teaches you everything you need to know to get the best results with a wide range of clientele, including weight loss and muscle gain, as well as athletes. Likewise, they have modules on creating your own corporate wellness programs, working online as a coach and provide a year's worth of business and professional mentoring to help you set up your own nutrition consultancy. You can also just use the course to improve your own knowledge around evidence-based nutrition if you like. 
You can find out more information at www.mac-nutritionuni.com. And as a listener of the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, you can also get a generous 90% off the enrollment fees using the coupon code LEANNE90. Enrollments for the next intake open on the 13th of July, so get in quick. All right, well, our listeners, as I'm sure, are probably like, Paula, I'm on board, sign me up. How do our listeners start? Like, what would be the first couple of steps you would recommend to someone who's new to this volumetric style of eating or new to this journey? Where would you say, okay, do these one, two, three things as sort of a beginning part to your journey? So I think as a first part, it's it's really about looking, If even if you were to go, okay, in my day, I'm going to choose one snack and one meal that I want to start to apply this pro- approach to. Or it might only be one meal a week. It's I'm always about start small, embed a habit because habits are also really important and changing our mindset around how we eat almost as, a po- as important as what we eat is how we go about it, how we approach it. Mm. So... I would say pick a meal or two and then think how could I increase or keep the volume of this meal high by adding some lower calorie density, let's just make it easy, and lower calorie density vegetables, for example. Mm -hmm. So how would I uh, keep the volume of the meal the same, um, add some high volume veggies, so let's use tacos, for example, um, because that's a meal that we eat in our house a lot. I've got Mince, how could I reduce the calorie density of that? Okay, I buy three-star mints. I'm going to buy five-star mints now because that's going to have a lower calorie density because we know that it's lower in fat. Um, and when I cook the mince, what lower calorie density foods could I add to it to bulk it up mm-hmm. in order to make to drop the calorie density of the overall meal? So we're talking things like obviously carrots, zucchini, mushrooms, black beans. What You end up with more food but it stretches for longer but you also end up with a lower calorie dish. So it's simple things like that at one meal if you're going to start somewhere and then maybe even think about it at a snack time too because snacks can be an area where people really struggle because a lot of the convenient snacks, fruit and vegetables aside, can be very calorie dense. So how do I how do I make a, my portion of something that's more calorie dense, say like crackers and dip, for example, mm-hmm. but then add something else on the side that's higher vol- volume, so high water, with be it fruit, veggie sticks, etc. Et Even things like cottage cheese that are they're relatively high volume, and you get protein in them as well. So it's about it's not about avoiding any of the foods that you're already eating. It's about how do I make this snack higher volume but lower calories to keep me full. So instead of, say, as an example, you're doing four crackers with four pieces of um, full-fat cheese, you could do, say, three crackers with three pieces of um, low-fat cheese plus a couple of carrot sticks on the side. Or instead of full-fat cheese, you could do something like cottage cheese instead. Or you could do two crackers with, um, you know, a couple of slices of capsicum or something and put the cheese onto that and sort of make that sort of a cracker as well. So it's just about finding the substitutions where, as you mentioned, you're sort of lowering the calorie density of it and replacing it with higher volume, higher fiber and um, fluid type foods like our fruits and our veggies yeah exactly so it's it's never about completely excluding anything to you know to, uh, to use the example that you gave you start with uh, a set amount of crackers but you're like okay but I'm going to reduce the crackers use some veggie sticks some cottage cheese um, to met and then your snack actually ends up bigger so if you put them side by side you'd be like wow that's actually more food but mm. you're actually it's actually going to be more filling because one you've got a high volume of food 
but you've also probably you've introduced some protein in there in that instance from the cottage cheese. So, yeah, and you've got the lower lower calories overall as well. So it's just about making small tweaks as uh, towards some of your meals and snacks that can make a big difference when they're all combined up together over a week, a month, a year. Mm. So it might only feel like a small change, but they all add up. Mm. And it's almost like that quote that I've seen online quite a bit. I think it says, eat more for less, yeah. which is basically just describes this principle in a couple of words, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm all about eating more, to be honest, yeah. eating more Absolutely. for less. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> honestly, it's making me hungry having this conversation yeah. right now. <laughs> all right. Well, I think the big burning question from some of our listeners at home is going to be Paula. I don't like veggies in salad. What do I do? Because this sounds like it's a large part of this whole principle of volume eating. What do I do? What's your advice? Yeah, that's yeah, that's always a challenging one. I think that one of the good things about volume eating is you you can manipulate the portions of your you know it is vegetable based, so fruit and vegetable based or plant based, plant focused, but you can actually manipulate them in recipes of mixed dishes where you are you know you essentially hide the vegetables from yourself sort of like we do with our kids <laughs> so you're putting zucchini and carrot and mushroom and mix it in with a bolognese or a, you know add extra veggies to your stir fry so meals that are still really tasty but say you don't like having a full side of vegetables how do you how do you include volume eating in a mixed dish so pasta is a classic example because it's very, very easy to have a pasta dish that's got a pasta, maybe a tiny bit of vegetables and a little bit and some chicken, for example. That's a pretty unbalanced meal. So because you end up pretty much just with carbs and protein in there. How do you actually go, okay, I'm still gonna have pasta, I'm still gonna have chicken, but I'm gonna include some fairly mild tasting vegetables. So they end up just tasting like the sauce. So things like squash, zucchini, mushroom. Um, those sort of vegetables are pretty mild. So if you're having them in a mixed dish like a pasta, a stir fry, they tend to start to just taste like whatever the sauce that you've got them in is. Mm. So I'd say if you don't love veggies, like you don't love a big side of veggies or a big side of salad, just really think about how you can apply volume eating to your mixed dishes because, you know, that that way, particularly with the mild tasting veg, they're going to be easier to I guess, cover up with the flavour of the sauce that you actually enjoy. <laughs> so sort of just doing the little sneaky like you do with the kids and try to hide them in as, as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel like I do that to myself. I'm like, right, how can I sneak some more vegetables into this because <laughs> I need some. Definitely. And I say to my clients as well, and I say, just make them taste better. Like, I don't care if you have to put some cheese onto your broccoli. Or I don't care if you have to put tomato paste, uh, you know, tomato sauce onto your mushrooms. As long as you're eating your vegetables, I think that's the most important part. And as we grow, our taste buds, you know, tend to change change over time as well. So you might not like veggies now, but if you start adding them into some delicious flavors and putting some cheese and garlic on them or, you know, doing your, you know, a nice potato bake, but also adding a little bit of sweet potato and pumpkin in there as well. So it's not just potato. We do grow and adapt and change over time when it comes to our taste buds, don't we? So I think over time we learn to like things that previously we may not have. Yeah, totally. And we, you know, it's important that we try and find a way and keep trying these things and retrying them because we know how critical they are for our health. I guess the other thing is like when we think about uh, like people often say, oh, I don't want to have that salad dressing because it's got a little bit of sugar in it. I'm like, if it's going to help you eat the salad, who cares? Like it's just a bit of sugar. So I think, you know, finding dressings like that that you like, even if you think, oh, they've got a bit of sugar in them, it's a little bit of sugar is totally fine, particularly if it's going to help you uh, eat more salad when you're not 
a big salad eater, for example. Absolutely, yeah. So it's all about the volume and the portion. We want to eat more. So how do things like liquids and things like smoothies and and that sort of thing, how do they fit into the equation when it comes to volume-based eating? Yeah, that's they can be a bit of an exception, actually, liquids. I'll talk about smoothies separately, but for most liquids that are calorie-containing, it when you work out the calorie density, it actually looks like they've got a low calorie density because they're quite, obviously they're liquid, so they're very, very high in water. So these are things like juice, cordial, even soft drinks can seem like they've got a lower calorie density just because they're so water-based. But obviously with those things, you know, it's really straightforward in terms of healthy eating. We know that they're nutrient poor, it's pretty much just sugar and water. So even though they might technically fit into a lower calorie density, they're not going to fill us up. They're going to move through our, our gastrointestinal system super fast. Mm. A lot of them are actually going to be absorbed really fast and could actually lead to us feeling more hungry because of how quickly the sugar's absorbed into our blood. So on the most part, as with any healthy eating approach, water is the best drink for volume eating. Um, water or those, you know, non-calorie containing liquids. Smoothies, are, if if you make them in a balanced way, and I know you do this, um, they can they can actually be a good um, snack or meal as well, provided you make them balanced. I think the trap with smoothies sometimes can be that they're they're very high, say in fruit and there's nothing wrong with fruit but if you have just fruit it becomes like a fruit juice you you want some fruit some veg some form of protein be it yogurt or a protein powder um, a little bit of healthy fats either from the yogurt or some nuts or seeds to make essentially what is a very balanced smoothie and if you've got a smoothie like if you keep retaining the fiber on the fruit as well you're obviously going to get that more satisfying effect so um, smoothies can definitely have a place provided that they're made in a balanced way, but mm. probably not a lot of the other calorie containing liquids. They don't really fill us up. Yeah, definitely. And I normally have a, a sort of a general, oh, I don't want to say rule, but guide when it comes to smoothies for my clients. I generally say a three is to one rule. So three pieces of veggies to one piece of fruit. My clients are like, what? So I'm like, big handful of spinach, a thing of zucchini, a little bit of um, cauliflower. Like you don't even really taste cauliflower in a smoothie or an extra bit of kale or some cucumber or celery, then add a little bit of fruit, like a banana. Whereas most people go banana, kiwi fruit, um, berries, and then a little bit of spinach. And then that's a smoothie. I think we need to flip that on its head. If we can't do three is to one. I think definitely trying to do two is to one when it comes to a smoothie. And that way you're not just drinking a glass of a smoothie. Generally when I make a big green smoothie and I put a little bit of protein from maybe some yogurt or some protein powder in there, a little bit of healthy fat, maybe some chia seeds, my smoothies will make like three glasses. And that's breakfast for me because again, that's volume eating. Because if I just have one little glass of a smoothie, it's not going to fill me up. It'll maybe take the edge off my hunger for an hour. Then I'll be like, okay, what next? What's my second course of breakfast? Yeah, exactly. You essentially need what you would put into like a bowl a massive salad bowl or something <laughs> exactly put it into a smoothie I agree cauliflower is the other mild tasting veg that is a great filler in terms of anything like that and I, I agree as soon as you add some of those things to smoothies if you've got other stronger flavored things and it doesn't take much fruit to provide a lot of flavor to to a smoothie then you can sort of sneak in some of those veggies not really taste them but also get that that volume eating effect because you've you're lowering the calorie density because you've got those lower calorie density 
veg. Mm. We mentioned fruit a few times. I think a lot of our listeners understand that berries are very, you know, high volume, low sort of sugar. So everyone sort of appreciates that berries are, you know, great for health, great for weight loss. What other fruits do you consider really in that very low calorie sort of part when it comes to volumetrics eating or are most of the other fruits more in that lower calorie, but not the very low calorie? Is it just berries or anything else you would sort of consider a bit free game when it comes to fruit as well? Yeah. So a lot of the berries are by far one of the best because, uh, yeah, they um, we know that they're lower sugar, they're still super tasty. But even your standard, any of your fruits that are still quite high in water, like your apples, pears, to just sort of make the cutoff for that very low calorie density, the ones where we move up a category are like your mango, your grapes, your banana, mm-hmm. um, those sort of fruits that tend to be a little bit higher in fruit sugars. Um, but again, we wouldn't. I would never want people to be worried about consuming those. It's just about being more cautious of the portion size. But I think you know your three to one is a great um, recommendation when it comes to smoothies because. Um, otherwise, we can tend to overload them, can't we? And, that, and it's not just that in a smoothie as well for our listeners at home. It's not just three veggies and one fruit. It's three is to one because the fruit acts as a little bit of a carbohydrate. Then I'll generally add a little bit of whole grain carb, like a little bit of, say, rolled oats in there as well. Then I'll add a portion of fat, so some peanut butter or some chia seeds or something like that. Then I might add a little bit more, um, a portion of protein, like some Greek yogurt or some protein powder. So please don't think that I'm just saying have three veggies and one fruit and that's a balanced smoothie because it's not. We absolutely want the components of the whole grain type of carb um, plus a little bit of fat plus a little bit of protein as well to really make and round off that balanced smoothie and that's what I would think would be something that's super super filling because for a really long time in my early 20s I was really turned off smoothies I was like I don't drink smoothies they don't keep me full but just like you've probably learned as well Paula I just wasn't building them right I was just doing a couple of pieces of fruit maybe a little handful of spinach or something and thinking that was you know quote unquote healthy clean green you know but it just wasn't it just didn't sustain me for longer than about probably 40 minutes honestly (laughs) yeah I hear you and I think it's sort of the same with breakfast in a way and I know smoothies are often used at breakfast but um, whilst volume eating doesn't always it it focuses a lot on calorie density you still do really need to think about how you build your meals because you might go I'm going to choose all these very low calorie density foods but then if you don't have enough protein for example you might end up you know feeling quite hungry quite quickly even though you have got um high high volume meal so you, you need to think about both I think mm. it's like when you like when you're talking about smoothies but same you have a, if I ever had breakfast a cereal milk I I now add protein powder because I know if I don't then I am hungry after that 40 minutes like you mm-hmm. say because mm-hmm. it ends up just being you know, uh, very high carb and um, a little bit of protein, but not quite enough to keep me full. Yeah, I think a little bit of a sprinkle of protein powder plus some berries on top for some cereal and milk is really just the the perfect addition, isn't it? Yes, that's pretty much my breakfast. You've just said there <laughs> every day. I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> Wonderful. And then to end off and round out this podcast, Paula, I'd love to know. Um, you've been a volume based eater for many, many years. What are your favorite? I say one or two breakfast, lunch, and dinner recipes when it comes to volume based eating. You shared your wonderful hack for your tacos besides the cereal and milk what else do you sort of love from a volume-based perspective at breakfast time yeah so I mean I'm a massive creature of habit at breakfast so I will often go for what we just talked about I'll have like a a muesli or an oats with plenty of berries and protein powder just to add the protein to to balance it out and round it out a little bit more Mm -hmm. if I'm going to have a savory breakfast I go standard eggs on toast but again I'd be like what low calorie density high volume foods can I add to bulk up this meal so I'm adding things like spinach and mushrooms and 
Baked beans, funnily enough, is a very low calorie density food because of the of the sauce that it's in. I don't know if you'd want to be increasing your portion size of that hugely. <laughs> I don't know if your gut would like that too much, but that is another really good addition in terms of um, adding some, both adding your beans so you get the the impact of the fibre um, and the phytonutrients, but then also you know the calorie density is pretty good too. Mm. So that that would be what I would go for at breakfast, and then. Come lunch, I'm I'm a bit of a mini platter, um, easy lunch sort of. I'm a bit lazy when it comes to lunch, probably. <laughs> but I'm like, how do I get my protein? Fill my plate uh, with half of the low calorie, de- very low calorie density foods, and then add my protein. Add something that's got a bit of grains as well. So um, again, that's a that's a very can be a very standard healthy eating approach. But I think what volume eating has allowed me to do is go. And the people that I work with is like focus on what veggies I'm going to put on my plate first and then build the plate from there. So that's been really useful. And tea, tacos we talked about. We take the same approach when it comes to like your spaghetti bolognese, etc. Mm. any stir fries that we have. So mm. I think stir fries can tend to be a bit uh, carb and protein with a little bit of veg but not heat. So that's, mm. a, that's a really common one to just focus on how do I drop my carb portion or my noodle portion um same with pasta and just bulk it up with your very low calorie density veggies and then they're swamped up in that sauce and it's um yeah you lower the overall calorie density of your meal but you're still getting loads of food and you're not cutting anything out so i'm not one to have a stir fry without noodles for example yeah, absolutely. And one of my, um, I'll share with my listeners, one of my volume dense go-to meals, and we've talked about this on my other podcast with Susie Nutrition Catch. Um, she loves a good cauliflower fried rice. So I'd make something like a standard fried rice, but I'd use half the amount of rice I'd normally use and bulk up the rest of it with a little bit of cauliflower. And same deal with, I know there's a big trend to sub out, you know, pasta with zucchini noodles. Why can't we do both? Why can't we have pasta as well, but maybe 30% less, plus then add some zucchini noodles in to bulk it out. And then with breakfast time, I love a good warming bowl of porridge particularly as we head into like the cooler months in Australia but I grate a a whole zucchini into my porridge and man it bulks it out so much and because zucchini is such a wet vegetable I don't need to add much liquid into there as well like it really that with some oats and some cheese seeds and some berries and a little bit of either protein powder or Greek yogurt on top is such a filling meal often I'll give that to my clients and they'll be hungry for hours afterwards yeah and I think that's again it's that mild tasting veggies that are really easy to slip into all sorts of meals like you said cauliflower flour there you said zucchini like Mm. they are they pretty much just blend in and taste like whatever they're in so they're literally some of the easiest ways to add volume to meals reduce the calories and still have something that tastes good well, I love it. I'm all over this concept. I've, I've been a fan for many years and I'm so glad that you were able to come on the potty today to have a little chat about being a hungry human and how we make that work for us. So thank you so much for all your wisdom today, Paula. Um, I know that you have an epic free course on volume eating, so I'd love if you could share it with our listeners um, a little bit more about that. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, as you all have heard, volume eating is my thing. Um, it definitely has helped me with being a hungry human over the years. So I do have a free essential volume eating course that's available just go to the homepage on my 
website www.movingdietitian.com.au and you can download it for free it's as easy as that that sounds awesome thank you so much i'm sure our listeners are really going to appreciate that and just quickly your instagram so we can give you a follow because you do some epic um infographics on instagram so i remember back in the day you were one of the dietitians that i love to follow as well although you still do it but i remember coming across your page years ago and thinking i just love the infographics that you do yeah thank you that i'm at moving dietitian on instagram and i do do a lot of uh comparisons of meals that are the probably the non-volume eating approach and the volume eating approach and just showing what impact that can have on calories so uh, yeah and still eating a lot of food so you'll see some of those posts there on my page definitely so if you're struggling to picture what volume eating might look like if you're a really visual person like myself definitely pop over to paula's instagram page which is moving dietitian um and she will yeah definitely show you what it's like yes Some of those meals that I've just discussed will be up on that page. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us again, Paula. And we really, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Amazing. Thanks for having me. 